Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA Podcast, episode number 91. It's Friday. We're here at the end of another week. Don, it's time. Deep breaths. <laughs> Deep breaths. How are you doing, my friend? Not well. We got three title <laughs> fights, and it's honestly some of the hardest fights I've had to predict why we've done this show. And this is our 91st That's episode. an understatement. I'm just and and also, my excitement for some of these fights has actually gone up. It's gone up significantly day by day. Especially that, that uh, actually, truthfully, the headliner. And that we was were, the one we were, I cared the least about. Yeah, and I, I, all of a sudden, we're 48 hours away. and I'm getting the butterflies. Yeah, a little bit. But um, obviously, this is a preview episode for UFC 261. Put a hashtag in front of it. Three title fights. Fans are back. Fans are back. Full capacity. 15,000 strong. Jacksonville, Florida. It's been 14 months. Long time. Yeah. And honestly, if uh, today's press conference is anything to go off of, that place is going to be be lit. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be nuts. (laughs) But before we get into the fights, it's time to talk about the news. The news. A couple fight announcements here. A couple of top 10 heavyweights going at it. Jarzinho Rosenstroik and Augusto Sakai, June 5th. It's a good fight. I think so. A better I, fight for Sakai. Dude. I mean, this is Sakai's first fight coming off that devastating loss to Overeem back in the fall. And if anything, he's getting a tougher matchup here. That's true. But then you look at Rosenstroik's last performance well, and you're like, uh, yeah, I don't know. The this way, is a good fight for both guys. I mean, Surreal Ghan is such a puzzle for anybody that I try to I, I try to give yeah, Rosenstroik a pass. That's but true. That's true. For Sakai... You know, technically Rosenstroik beat over him. I know it was kind of a Hail Mary last second TKO, but I don't know. It feels like Sakai's kind of being fed to the Wolves a little bit here. This is two back-to-back very hard fights for him. It's two, I mean, I guess you wouldn't consider them prospects at this point anymore. They fought some pretty big fights, but it's still two guys that are trying to work their way up. Still relatively young in the game. I definitely think Rosenstroik has for sure kind of gotten rid of that prospect mold. Sakai probably has too, but... Still really trying to establish himself in the top ten. Yeah, it is honestly stylistically, it is a good fight. I'm intrigued because you have Sakai who loves like working in the clinch and the dirty boxing, and then Rosenstroik can just put your lights out. Yeah, that makes for a fun fight. Should eh, I'll put it, I'll put it that way? <laughs> yeah, we said the same thing about yeah. a few of these heavyweight fights. <laughs> yeah. Moving on, a week later, UFC 263. A couple young lightweights going at it. I love this. Drew Dober, my boy. Yeah. We saw him live. Yes, we did. He's going up against Brad Rydell. Yeah. Who's really trying to, both these guys, really trying to make that push into the top 15. Um, and how about this for Rydell? Because he was originally supposed to fight uh, Gillespie. Yeah. That fight gets canceled. Gillespie goes his separate ways and gets a bigger fight. Right. Rydell goes his separate ways and gets, honestly, just as big of a name, if not a bigger name, in Drew Dover, to be honest. Well, Dover's name is definitely gone up. Even yeah. with the Makachev loss, lost. the very one-sided yeah. loss to Makachev, you can't take away what Dober did in 2020 and even before that. Um, like the fight with Alexander Hernandez, he looked oh. incredible. This matchup, Rydell definitely tends to be more grapple-heavy. Yeah. So you have to wonder if Dober is going to be able to kind of put counteract that a little bit, but he's not the grappler that Makachev is. So. Right. Right. Dover's been taken to the deep waters with the best grappling in the division. Now he takes a step back. Still a dangerous guy in Rydell. Probably a more well-rounded striker overall than Makachev would have been. At this point, it could be. So it's, it's, uh, an, it's Makachev's so unproven on yeah. the feet that it's hard to tell. But I, I'm really excited for this fight. Two guys I'm really big fans of. They're exciting guys. When is that one? 
That's June twelfth. That's uh, UFC two sixty three. Okay. Okay. Probably might, might not be on the main card, but still a high profile. That's fight. the lone like pay per view where still like what else is going to be on there? Because <laughs> yeah. it's Figgy and Moreno too, and that's like mm, what else? <laughs> so just, at least we just, have this one. It's just the two of them, like the ending of that's Fresh it. Prince, yeah. Will Smith in the just living room. Yeah, except they're in the octagon. <laughs> yeah, just like where is everybody? So yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that one, but that is it for the news. The news. Thankfully, there's only two to talk about because <laughs> it's time. Yeah, let's put our let's put our energy into this right here. So oh, we got five fights to break down for you. We're gonna give our thoughts and previews on them, but that's not all. Because right now you're gonna hear from a good friend of ours who has sent in a voice message talking about our three title fights. Mm-mm-mm. He calls himself Mystic P for good reason. <laughs> Hey, if he gets these three predictions right, he's going to just become the host of the show. <laughs> yeah, but hey, hey. let's all... not spoil No spoilers. Right, 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 right. So let's go ahead and hear from our friend Tyler. Uh-oh. Mystic P has returned. They call me Mystic P for a reason because I see the future, baby. And I'm back with a little prediction for the upcoming three title fight card on Saturday. I'm going out on a limb. I'm making some bold predictions. I see Thug Rose and New. I see Jessica Andrade and New. And can we make history? I see Jorge Masvidal and New. Knockout. No TKOs. Knockout of Kamaru Usman in the third round. I'm calling it. You heard it here first. Call me Mystic P because I predict these things. Thank you, Tyler, for inserting your voice message. Very bold take. Hey, he's going for history. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's what he's going for here. Three and news. He's going for a UFC 217 type. He clearly listened in on Wednesday. He's he, like, yeah. we. I heard what happened at 217. 261 is going to repeat history. And you know what? I love it. If that happens, I will. Well, I will say if that happens, I'm going to be pissed because my <laughs> predictions ain't going to hold up. Yeah, too well. that's true too. But. Hey, I appreciate it. Go big or go home. And that's what Tyler does. And now, Tyler, you had your limelight again, but it's time for us. Okay. Yeah, yeah, let's bring it back to us. So, where do we start here, Dom? The first fight of the evening, light heavyweight action. Mm-hmm. Anthony Smith, Jimmy Crute, the, the Brute Crute, <laughs> Lionheart. So, Anthony Smith, 34 wins, 16 losses. He's 10-5 and five in the UFC, 18 KOTKOs, 13 submissions. That's 31 wins out of 34 via finish. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's Anthony Smith for you. (laughs) 17 of those 31 in the first round. He's got notable wins over Andrew Sanchez via KO, Hector Lombard KO, Rashad Evans KO, Shogun Hua KO, submitted Volkan Uzdemir, Alexander Gustafson, and Devin Clark. This man finishes everyone that comes in the octagon with him. But he does have some notable losses. He's lost to Cesar Fajera via decision, got TKO'd by Tiago Santos. That was in his middleweight uh, era, if you will. And then when he fought John Jones for the title, lost the decision there, got TKO'd by Glover Teixeira. And then his last loss was to Alexander Rakic. That was also via decision. On the other end, way less experience, but one of the biggest prospects in all of the UFC. Agreed. Jimmy Crute, 12 wins, 1 loss. He's 4-1 in the UFC. 1-0 1-0 on the Contender Series. He's got 5 KOTKOs, 4 submissions, so that's 9 out of 12 via finish. 8 of those have came in the first round. Notable wins against Paul Craig. That was in his UFC debut. 
debut. That's a very tough, very tough debut. And he submitted him. He submitted the submission (laughs) ace. Got a TKO over smiling Sam Alvey. And then his most recent outing, KO'd Modestus Bukaskas. I (laughs) love that name. That's a tough one. And then his lone loss was to Misha Serkinov, and that was via submission in a wild one Very round wild fight, fight. Lad. yeah he heard it he actually heard jimmy on the feet yes so thoughts here on the crafty vet that's been there and done that mm. and the up-and-coming prospect i mean that's the experience here is very significant well if you opinion. want to talk about the eye test anthony smith's got the length on jimmy crew jimmy crew not the biggest light heavyweight as far as height like reach things like that. And Anthony Smith is like a low key, long range yeah, oh fighter. Yeah, very, He's six foot four. I mean, his long reach, arms. I, long I remember legs. when he fought John Jones. His reach wasn't. I mean, they were eye to eye and everything. Yeah, I mean, John Jones has like the I think the biggest reach yeah, in the entire eighty four inch reach. And I'm pretty like him and Kevin Holland are both like right. Yeah, pretty sure Kevin Holland has a really high. John Jones reach. literally has a. But I remember Anthony Smith held up pretty well in that, if yeah. I remember correctly. Uh, Jimmy Crew, it's going to be a pretty significant difference but jimmy crude's so talented everywhere he's very good at kind of closing the distance and kind of getting into one of those dog fights like dirty boxing things like that as far as how i think this fight will that, go, that's what i'm wanting to hear from you i'm curious it's it's very interesting because anthony smith really both these guys are very talented everywhere yes man but that's anthony what makes smith so is more proven everywhere especially when it comes to the ground very slept on ground game I, that's the Always, when I preview an Anthony Smith fight or watch an Anthony Smith fight, that's always front of mind. Because no one ever talks about how slick he is on the ground. And ever. I will say, what's really kind of my, my my thing that's kind of sticking with me against Anthony Smith right now is if you look at his previous loss to Alexander Rakic, and I know Rakic and Jimmy Crew completely different fighters. When Anthony Smith is going up against someone who can bully him, yeah, Size-wise, you can find that aspect of his game to kind of expose and just attack and attack and attack. Yeah. Rakic using leg kicks. For Glover Teixeira, it was the ground and pound. Yeah. Whenever he gets overwhelmed with that certain aspect of MMA, he tends to kind of fold. Yeah. And Jimmy Crew is very much a bully when he steps into the octagon, usually. A brute, you know, literally. Yeah. And I just have a hard time getting past that in this matchup. I do think that the, the side for Anthony Smith that he does have the experience advantage and you've seen that work against Anthony Smith in the past. That fight with Sam Alvey, debatable stoppage. In that fight, I believe you said it was a submission finish, right? Kroots win over yeah. Sam Alvey. Uh, it was a TKO. It was a TKO. Okay. If I remember correctly, the, the ref stopped it, but really Alvey wasn't out. And if I remember correctly, that fight was pretty close. Yeah. So you've seen Jimmy crew, maybe a fight IQ is not quite to the level that, you want someone who's maybe making a push for a title shot here. Right. But I do think he has enough skills to get past Anthony Smith. Mm. How he does it, I'm going to go via decision. I think I think he does just enough. I think Anthony Smith will have his moments. You think we have a barn burner here? I mean, Anthony Smith on his back even is really He's talented. Man. He kind of doesn't – a lot of people don't understand just how good he can be. Yeah. But I think Jimmy Crew is ready to make that push. I don't hate it, but I'm going the opposite direction. Okay. I, I don't know if I've ever picked against Anthony Smith, and I don't know if I ever will pick against Anthony Smith. And I got a little fun prediction because I <laughs> nailed it when he fought Devin Clark. Right. And I think I'm going to nail it again. 
third round submission after an all-out war here. Not going to be fight of the night because there's too many damn good fights on this card to call this one the fight of the night. But it's going to be very competitive, very close, especially on the feet. I think they go tit for tat. But mm. it, when it goes to the ground, which I think it will, and I almost envision it as Anthony might be able to hurt Crute and get the fight to the ground that way, finish him off late in the third round. Awesome. Uh, it's it's really tough. It's really a pick of in my opinion. A lot of these fights are. That's true. And now, hey, if you thought there's only one rematch on the card <laughs> in the main event, look no further than this one right here. Well, we got to give a plug to you here. Of course. Yeah, Dom wrote an article about this fight for Overtime Heroics. Check that out. Um, if you've seen, uh, if you follow us on Twitter, who would have thought I could be so nice to two guys that have beaten my all-time favorite fighter? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, and now I get to talk about it, so that'll be fun. So Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman, a rematch ten years in the making. Well, almost. They fought in September 2010, or yeah, it is over ten years yeah, in the over making. 10 years. Um, so here we go, Chris Weidman, the former champion, 15 and five, 11 and five in the UFC, six KO TKOs, four submissions. Six of those have came in the first round. Notable wins over Uriah Hall. That was at Ring of Combat 31 in 2010. It was via TKO. Weidman won the belt in that fight for that organization. Goes on to come into the UFC, beats Damian Maya via decision, defeats Anderson Silva for the belt, shocking the world, ending a 16-fight win streak, and then defends it in his first defense against Anderson Silva, Gruesome leg injury there, but nevertheless, he looked good in that fight. I'll give him credit. Goes on to defend the belt uh, against Leota Machida and Vitor Belfort. Leota was via decision, Vitor via TKO. He's got a submission win over Kelvin Gastelum and a decision win over Amari Akhmedov. In his last outing, a little lackluster, but, you know, notable win, right? Yeah, sure. Notable losses. It's tough for Chris Weidman because all five of them have been via KO, TKO. He lost the belt to Luke Rockhold, a brutal flying knee by Yoel Romero, lost to Musasi, Jacare Souza, and then in his attempt to move up to light heavyweight, got KO'd by Dominic Reyes and sent right back down to 185. <laughs> right. For Uriah Hall, 16-9, and 9-7 and seven in the UFC, 12 KO TKOs, one submission, again, six first-round finishes, Notable wins against Chris Lieben via TKO, decision over Tiago Santos, a TKO of Yegard Musasi, and now on a three-fight win streak here, those were against Christoph Jotko via TKO, Antonio Carlos Jr. via split decision, and then Anderson Silva on Halloween when Noah went bobbing for apples, if you all remember. <laughs> that was via TKO. Such, <laughs> such a random... Hey, I just had to take a little trip down memory lane is all. And then the notable losses, of course, Chris Weidman, like I said, back in 2010 via TKO. Uh, lost a split decision to Kelvin Gastelum in the Ultimate Fighter finale. Lost the decision to Robert Whitaker. TKO'd by Derek Brunson. TKO'd by Yegard Musasi. So they're one apiece. And then lost via TKO to the then undefeated Paulo Costa. Mm-hmm. So it's odd because these guys are both now 36 years old. Weidman, it seems, is... Well past his prime. Won the belt, defended the belt, but ever since, he's been knocked out five times. Really back and forth career. Mm -hmm. Uriah had all the hype in the world during tough. Went back and forth with wins and losses in his I early mean, this UFC guy, career. This guy was being projected as like... They the thought, next they thought Anderson he was, They thought he was going to win tough and then face Anderson Silva right away. Yeah, but I mean, instead, back and forth, wins and losses. Well, he didn't even win the season. He yeah. lost to Kelvin, like you said. So, I mean, he's kind of been... 
if you really not to be mean to the guy, but if you talk about like potential kind of wasted, he's he's top of the list. Yeah. But he doesn't appear to be completely done yet. I mean, all of a sudden, at 36 years old, on a three-fight win streak, now fighting and inching and clawing his way to that title shot he's always dreamt of. Mm. Does he get it done against Chris Weidman? Do they? Does he tie the series? One well, these? I think there's very clear paths to victory for each guy here. Yeah, I don't think we're. This is be, the easiest fight I don't in terms think, of passing. Yeah, I think it's a hard fight to pick, but I think both guys' How they win. victories are very easy to yeah. discover. Yeah. If you want to talk about Chris Weidman, it's going to be the wrestling. It's going to be putting your eye hall up against the fence in the clinch, getting him down to the ground, and just basically smothering him for three rounds. Yeah. Because Let's be honest, if this fight goes to the ground, Uriah Hall is going to have nothing. Yeah, there's Chris a significant advantage for Weidman. On the other end... There's a significant <laughs> advantage in striking. Chris Weidman does have five losses via KOTKO. Yes. So his chin is not what it used to be. Uriah Hall is very dangerous on the feet. The problem for Uriah... He's gun shy. Lately. He, he tends to be overpatient. He gets a little... Because it's, it's crazy because when he lands... He hurts people, yeah. but he just doesn't let it go all the time. But it's always been a problem for him. He's yeah. This is why he is in the position he's in when we're talking about potential, potentially wasted. Question here for you, though. Okay. If he gets a little too trigger-happy in this one <laughs> to try and prove some people wrong, some haters wrong, it leaves you more open to the takedown vulnerability. It does. I mean, it's, 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 it's he He's going to have to find a fine and I also, line. I'm also going to go out on a limb here. Yeah. And tell you that those five losses via KOTKO, yes, Chris Weidman isn't who he used to be, but I actually would go as far to say that they, if you really dig in deep into those, you will see that maybe he he can still take a shot, in my opinion. Yeah. The Dominic Reyes is the worst one. That, that was, was at a yeah. light heavyweight. Yeah, it's very true. So if you look at his other losses, what seems to happen is the later the fight goes, Weidman tends to just make some huge, costly mistake. Luke Rockwell, when he lost the belt. Spinning wheel kick. Yeah, I don't know what he he's was He's a doing. wrestler. Like, it doesn't make sense. Gets dominated the rest of the fight. UL. UL yeah, Romero but... went for a takedown. Yeah. Got caught with the knee. What are you going to do? Round two. Then you look at... Um, the Jacare Jacare was shocking. A fight that was really... He was going very well yeah. for him for most of it. And but then, then, bam! Yeah, again, round three. This is what I'm saying is it seems that Chris starts out these fights really good and then as it goes along he just kind of gets maybe a little too cocky. I don't know, but I think that the Chris Weidman we saw in that Omari Agmeda fight, as much as it's not a great fight, I think that's going to be his route to victory here. I think that's the blueprint for this Chris Weidman at this point in his career. I think he gets it done again. Really? I'm going Chris Weidman via decision. Uriah is going to knock him out. <laughs> so we're differing a lot right now. I think I think Uriah is going to be able to find that fine line that a lot of people have been looking for in his striking output. Mm. I think he's going to be able to land clean and land often. I think he finishes him off with a KOTKO round two. Uriah Hall gets the win and now finds himself in a unique spot because the middleweight division is so funky right now. And every he's been calling for Izzy forever, but like, all right, you got to get through Weidman and a couple more first. <laughs> we'll see what happens come Monday, but Uriah Hall is going to get the job done. What I will say is I'll even go as far to say that Uriah Hall should win this fight. <laughs> the problem is I just don't have faith in him to 
really, I guess, show any sort of aggression. Or, right, right. I don't know what exactly I need to see from him, but it needs to be more than what I've been getting. Does that make sense? That is a good way to put it, yes. So, and now all of a sudden we have to talk about three title <laughs> fights. And we start with the women's flyweight division. <sighs> Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, the queen. Yep. Going up against Jessica Andrade. The former queen. Yeah. At the other weight class. <laughs> yeah. um, what's going to happen here? I don't know. No. <laughs> Valentina Shevchenko, 20 wins, 3 losses, 9-2 and two in the UFC. She's got 6 KOTKOs, 7 submissions. 5 of those finishes have came in the first round. Notable wins against Sarah Kaufman via decision, Holly Holm via decision, submitted Juliana Pena. She's beaten Joanna Young-Jacek via decision to win the vacant flyweight belt. Has went on to defend it four times since then. A brutal head kick KO over Jessica I. Got the decision win over Liz Carmouche. TKO Caitlin Chukagian. And then in her most recent outing, defeated Jennifer Maya via decision in total. She's on a six fight win streak. Notable losses, Liz Carmouche at C3 fights in 2010 via TKO. It was a doctor stoppage to be fair, but TKO. And then of course we all know two losses to the GOAT Amanda Nunes, once via unanimous decision, once in the title fight via split decision in a razor close fight. Jessica Andrade, the former strawweight champion, the former beast at 135 pounds that we had the pleasure to see live. True. Now in her second fight at flyweight, she's 21 and 8, 12 and 6 in the UFC. She's got eight KO TKOs, seven submissions, nine of those finishes in the first round. Notable wins against Raquel Pennington via decision, TKO over Jessica Panay, submitted Joanne Calderwood. That's the one we got to see in person. We always love the story that we tell, but I'm not going to tell it here, and you shouldn't either, <laughs> Noah. A decision win over Angela Hill and Claudia Gadella and Tisha Torres. A one-punch KO mm-hmm. over Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Absolutely Disgusting. brutal. Then goes on to slam Rose Namunas on her head and win the strawweight title. Also <laughs> disgusting. And then in her flyweight debut a few months back, KOs Caitlin Chukagian with body shots. Also disgusting. Yes. She's just she's just disgusting <laughs> in the best of ways. Yeah. She's the first UFC female fighter to have a win slash finish in three weight classes. No, she's a badass, man. She I mean, is she's, the definition she's of... She's literally... A badass. Yeah. Now, of course, notable losses. Uh-huh. She's got the most women's fights, by the way, in UFC history with 18. I did not realize that. Yeah, and she's only 29 years old, for what it's worth. Notable losses. She lost to Jennifer Maya at Samurai FC 9 in 2012 via decision. Then got TKO'd by Liz Carmouche, submitted by Marion Renault, submitted by Raquel Pennington, lost the decision to Joanna young Jacek when she first challenged for the strawweight title, got TKO'd... Uh, by the champion we're going to talk about next and Zhang Wei Li. That was to lose the title when she became champion. And then her last fight at Strawweight was the rematch with Rose. And they fought to a, an insane three-round split decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's start with this. This on paper should be Valentina's toughest test at Flyweight, right? right. Can we say that much? I would agree. Okay. And I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, yeah. Valentina, dominant champion. Yeah. Jessica Andrade, kind of been has shown dominance at times mm-hmm. across her career, but it seems now she's finally in the right division for her. Literally the sweet spot, yeah. right in the middle. 
But is it enough? Is it enough to be a dominant champion? Can she beat Valentina? That remains to be seen. If you want to talk about stylistically here, Jessica Andrade is a brute. She's going to come straight at her. She's going to bring the pressure. She's going to look to land the overhand right, the overhand left. Press her against the cage, yep. work the body. She, even the takedowns could be in play That's here. what I'm curious to so, see. That's the biggest thing for me in this fight. I think what we're both thinking the same thing, right? Valentina's previous title defense with Jennifer Maya. Jennifer, who was a, what, a, a plus 800 underdog? Something crazy, yeah. Was able to basically control an entire round in top position against Valentina on the ground. That shocked the world in itself. It really surprised a lot of people. Jessica, I'm not going to... Jessica's... Her jiu-jitsu she is fantastic. She's so much different from Jennifer. Her, her jiu-jitsu is fantastic, but she doesn't always show it because she is so she powerful. She just wants to knock the, the shit out of you. Yeah. But Valentina... Even though she does go to a lot of decisions, I mean, look at the Jennifer I. Yeah. KO. She, if she gets pressured, I don't think it's necessarily going to be to her detriment. That's the thing with Valentina, man. Like, go back and just watch her fights, even against an incredible striker like Joanna. Mm-hmm. It feels like she never gets touched. Valentina just never has looked weak on the feet. And that's what just takes her so many levels ahead all of the competition. So if she works the distance here and picks her shots like she's so good at doing with her kicks, I think that's going to be in her benefit. Her easiest path to victory. I think if they grapple, that's where I'm very much intrigued with this fight. Because Joe, or I'm sorry, Valentina is a beast on the mat. Now don't let the Jennifer Maya round she lost fool you because then she went on to dominate Maya oh, two I, rounds no, on the I ground. completely agree. So it's just... It uh, kind of depends on who, I guess is more aggressive for it. Yeah. Whoever uh, gets that takedown, I mean... This could be to, interesting. Truthfully, man. if either one of these women land the takedown, I have a hard time believing the other one's going to be able to power out from the bottom. Yeah. Because yeah. Jessica and Valentina are both so good when they're on top that I don't see that being able to... I don't see either one of them on the bottom being able to actually... And I think Valentina's also so strong. Like, obviously, when she's in there, she's going to look smaller than Jessica. Mm -hmm. Jessica Andrade is so physically built and just thick. But Valentina is very strong and utilizes that strength when she goes for her takedowns. We've seen the power in a kick, such as the one against I. But I don't know if some... I don't think anyone's getting finished in this one. Really? Yeah. See, I, I have a hard time... The way I see this going... Well, I guess should I let you finish your? I'll answer? just finish, and I then you can steal it. Here. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm I'm going Valentina via decision. Okay. I think she really utilizes her advantage in striking, especially the kicks on the feet. If she grapples, I'm intrigued to see how she will go up against Jessica, whether that be offensively or defensively. But overall, I feel she gets it done again for her fifth title defense. Awesome. Via decision. All I'm going to say is. <laughs> That I have a hard time believing if Andrade is down in this fight, I have a hard time seeing her just kind of coast her way to a decision loss. She's the type of fighter She's going to go, go down out. swinging. Yep. yep. So I'm actually going to go with a third round KOTKO for the champion Valentina Shevchenko. I think Andrade will give it a good effort, but Valentina, I don't know if anybody's beaten her in that division outside of maybe uh, the winner of our co-main, but Ooh. we'll see about that. Well, I guess that means we're talking about <laughs> yeah, the co-main moving next. into the co-main. So, the women's strawweight title on the line. Zhang Weili looking for her second title defense against uh, the former champion, Rose Namajunas. 
You got your work cut out for you here. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Listen, this is this is the hardest. I've never went back and forth more on a fight in my life. Hmm. And especially during this damn podcast. Well, I'm glad you can share your struggle with the world right yeah, now. Yeah, they all just get to hear how much I've struggled. Because I still don't know who I'm picking to win. But anyway, <laughs> Zhang Wei Li, the current champion. 21 wins, 1 loss. She's 5-0 and in the UFC. 10 KOTKOs, 7 submissions. That's 17 out of 21 via finish. 11 of those have came in the first round. Notable wins. Jessica Aguilar via submission. A decision win over Tisha Torres. She TKO'd Jessica Andrade to win the belt in China. And then had the split decision victory over Joanna Young-Jacek in her first title defense in March of last year. One of the greatest fights I've ever seen in my life. It's absolutely unbelievable. I could watch it over and over and over again and never get bored. She is on a... 21 fight win streak. <laughs> so she lost her debut. She lost her debut <laughs> and hasn't lost since. And that was to Ming Bo in the China MMA League in 2013 via decision. The more you know. Yes, the more you know. Zhang Wei Li is the first Chinese champion in UFC history and looking to just keep adding to her legacy. You talk about someone that they just put the missile on their back and sent them. It's Zhang Wei Li. Oh, you're not kidding, man. I mean, look at really her resume up until her title shot wasn't anything. Earned a title fight in three fights in the UFC. And, you know, one finish in those three fights and only one top 15 win, I believe. Crazy. Kind of, I mean, really, they went out on a limb for her. That obviously coming into the UFC said a lot. You look at her performance to win the belt against Andrade and you see, okay, okay. they made a good investment. And then you see her fight Ioana, you're like, okay, okay. (laughs) We didn't make a mistake here. But. She's going up against a thug. <laughs> thug Rose Namajunas is 9-4, and 7-3 and three in the UFC, 1 KO, TKO, 5 submissions. Three of those finishes have came in the first round. She's got notable wins over Angela Hill via submission, submitted Paige Van Zant, a decision win over Tisha Torres, a submission over Michelle Watterson after she had that disgusting head kick that dropped her. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that was nasty. She's beaten Joanna Young-Jacek twice, the first time to shock the world and knocked her out to win the belt. And then the second time, the rematch, bested her for five rounds and mm-hmm. won a decision. Sure, it wasn't a fluke. Yes, and that was very impressive at the time, and it still is to this day. We know how good Joanna is. And then, of course, avenged her loss to Jessica Andrade uh, last summer via split decision on Fight Island. Notable losses, Tisha Torres via decision. She got submitted by Carla Esparza in the very first ever Strawweight championship mm-hmm. fight after the Ultimate Fighter season. She lost a split decision to Karolina Kovalkiewicz. And then, of course, the KO slam to Jessica Andrade when she lost the belt. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. You want me to... I, I'm just going to say this. This is the most excited and most anticipated I've ever been for a women's fight ever outside of Nunes Cyborg. Okay. The, I can't say that. I, I, I feel like that's probably... This is my main event. I cannot wait for this fight. <laughs> I've been waiting on this for so long. The X's and O's... No, it just take, take there's the a lot. There's a lot of intangibles here to break down, but I'm going to start with a hot take. Oh. This fight's not going five rounds. Oh. Oh. <laughs> this fight will be finished oh. one way or another. Oh, boy. And the, the, the most simple of reasons I can give for that... Because both these women were in wars in 2020, and I just don't think... Someone's got to go. I, someone's got to go. <laughs> you saw um, Whaley in her first title defense against Joanna. One of the best fights of all time. Five rounds. Got took to the absolute brink. Mm. 
that a human can take pain. Rose, three-round war with Andrade, got busted Broke up her in the nose third in round. That fight, yeah. But an all, another amazing fight. Yeah, that was an awesome The damage fight. that these women accumulated in the past year, I have a hard time seeing them able to do the same thing for five rounds, but I know that their output isn't going to decrease here. I think, if anything, you're going to see more output. Hard to expect that from Wei Lee. But Rose has always been an output-heavy person. She's constantly looking to bring pressure. However, for Wei Lee, the leg kicks, I think, are going to be a big factor for her here. Rose has that wide stance. Yes, she does. So Very heavy on the lead leg. Wei Lee's got like tree trunks for legs, and I think that that's going to be a Espe- big weapon for her here. Especially she, with Rose's movement. If she can take Rose's movement away, mm-hmm. this fight can get very one-sided very quickly. Yeah, that's good. But... Point. Rose is also just the speed is incredible. She's hurt, man. She's gonna have the speed advantage. She's gonna if she can stick and move, and kind of take Whaley into the later rounds, maybe tire her out a little bit. This can be anybody's fight. It's crazy how amazing Rose's striking is, considering she literally has more than half of her wins via submission. And if this fight goes to the ground, I'd be very interested to see. Because Zhang Li is so good on the ground, too. But, you just never get to see it. But Rose is as well. Exactly. This fight if is anything, perfect. If anything, Rose is more proven on the ground. I'm definitely more proven, because we've seen Wei so Li's much still more very green when it comes to her ground ability, but she's so strong. I'm going Wei Li, though. I think Whaley retains. I'm going to go Whaley via a fourth round KOTKO. This is my fight of the night. Yeah, it's mine too. And damn it, listen. I'm not saying this is going to be like Whaley and Yolanda. <laughs> but at the end of 2021, yeah. Zhang Lee very well may just be in the talks for two back-to-back fight of the years. I think this fight is going to be absolutely insane. I think it's going to be beautiful chaos, as yep. we love to say. I think we're getting a five-round war. We need a drum roll for this, but we don't have one, so I'm just going to say it. Rose Nama Yunus is going to get the belt back. I think she's more motivated than ever. A mentally strong Rose is a dangerous Rose, even against Wei Li. I think this fight's going to be absolutely incredible, so much so that it's going to be like literally a 3-2 for Rose, but I think she gets it done and wins the belt, a two-time champion okay, in the we're, we're differing a lot today. I, no, I struggled hey, you, so bad. You made your quote. You reached your quota, though. We talked Wednesday. Every three title fight card has had at least one new champion. There's your one for now. Thanks. I've yet to get my one. Will that change in the main event? I wish they could. Let's, let's find out. <laughs> so the rematch that nobody asked for, but we're getting anyways. Kamaru <laughs> Usman, the welterweight champion, going up against Jorge Masvidal oh, for the second shit. time. <clears throat> but I'd be lying if I said that as this fight gets closer, I get a little more excited each day. To tickle my fancy a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So go ahead and uh, break this down. All right. Well, Usman just fought, but I guess we got to do a nitty gritty on him again. Yeah. Eighteen and one. He is a perfect thirteen and zero in the UFC. All of those at welterweight. A thirteen fight win streak means he has the all time welterweight win streak record, surpassing George St. Pierre. Just think about it's, it. Uh, it's pretty good. Just think about it. He's got eight KO, TKOs, one submission. Three of those finishes are in the first round. Notable wins against Leon Edwards via decision. Warley Alves via decision. Also a decision over Sean Strickland. He KO'd Sergio Marais. That was a brutal one-punch KO. <laughs> he folded that. Folded man. him. <laughs> uh, decisions, 
three in a row here, Damian Maya, RDA, and Tyron Woodley to win the belt. Not only did he beat Tyron, he dominated Tyron to For win five that belt. Rounds. Took his soul, considering all we've seen from Tyron since then. <sighs> then his first title defense, a fight of the year contender against Colby Covington, his arch rival. Finishes him in the fifth round after a back-and-forth slugfest. Broke his jaw. Broke his jaw in the process. His second title defense last summer against Jorge Masvidal. You all know the story. Do we really need to talk about it anymore? Six days notice. He won a decision. What else is there to say? Gilbert Burns, arguably one of his most impressive performances, faces adversity early in the first round, gets dropped, comes back and looks flawless the rest of the way, and gets the TKO for his third title defense. In total, he's on a 17-fight win streak. And as we all know, he became the first Nigerian-born UFC champion. Now, three Nigerian-born UFC champions in the UFC. He started the African takeover, Noah. A little bit. And the lone loss, because, you know, i got to mention it. (laughs) The best welterweight in the world, Jose Caceres, back at CFA 11 (laughs) in 2013 via submission. I'm just having fun here. All right. Jorge <laughs> Masvidal. What even is Jose Caceres' record? He's the, I don't know. I don't, I don't do nitty-gritties <laughs> on Jose, but he's the GOAT, yes. Jorge Masvidal, the backyard brawler, is back for another title shot. Game bread. Game bread. This is going to be his 50th pro fight. Wow. 35 wins, 14 losses, only 12-7 and seven in the UFC. He's literally fought all over the world. He's got 16 KO, TKOs, two submissions. Eight of those 18 finishes have been in the first round. Notable wins. Eves Edwards back at Bodog Fight in 2007. That shit was on the beach. The beach. They had fights on the beach back then. <laughs> and he KO'd him. Are we surprised? No, nah, man. I was on the beach. <laughs> decision over Tim Means. He submitted Michael Chiesa. Uh, beat James Krause via decision. K- KO'd Cesar Fajera. Decision win over Ross Pearson. TKO'd Jake Ellenberger and Donald Cerrone. One punch KO'd Darren Till after he faced adversity in that first round and got dropped. This was, of course, the year of Jorge Masvidal. It started with the Till knockout. Then he gets the five-second flying knee KO over Ben Askren. Poor guy. I mean, Poor Ben. To this day, what is that to you? Like the craziest thing you've ever seen no, in your it's, life? It's, I, I, I literally shit myself in that V-dubs, <laughs> dude. That was absolutely insane. You'll never see anything crazy no, than watching that live. never again. And then, of course, the fake belt that got created with Nate Diaz, I will say, whooped Nate's ass for three rounds, so much so the yeah. doctor had to stop the fight via TKO. He becomes the BMF. He gets the, hey, I will say, the belt is pretty cool looking. It's, it's nice looking. I'm, I, I think it's a little weird that they're still showing it in the press conferences yeah, and stuff. But. Yeah, let's not talk about it too much. Notable L's. Hey, Rafael Sunsal. Listen, at full throttle one. Wait a minute. <laughs> well, yeah. Rafael Sunsal. Yeah. Isn't yeah. That man? The Bantamweight. Rafael Sunsal. It's like, like a 50 pound difference. <laughs> at full throttle one in 2005. I was seven. As was I. And it was via decision. As are all of the losses here on the notable portion for Jorge. He lost a decision to Paul Daly back at Strike Force 13 in 2010. Lost to Gilbert Melendez via decision in 2011 in Strike Force. Then in the UFC, split decision, losses to Ally Quinna, Benson Henderson, Lorenz Larkin, and Damian Maya. And then a unanimous decision loss to Stephen Thompson. And of course, Kamaru Usman last summer in his first title fight. But let's be real. 
are we going to see that much different of a fight on a full camp? That's what the storyline of the fight is, so I just want to get your thoughts. Um, Does it make a difference? Or is Usman that many levels above the rest? I think that there are some things that can make it a different fight. Most importantly, Masvidal's shape coming in, his cardiovascular is going to be a lot better. He'll be able to go deeper into a fight without, I guess, exerting all of his energy. Outside of that, though, I mean, this fight's very much the same on paper. Masvidal can make this dangerous on the feet. As we saw him do in the first one. For problem, a little bit. The problem is where he's most dangerous is with his leg kicks. And you gotta be careful Usman being yeah. the great wrestler he is, that is literally takedown city. That's how they started in the first fight, catching the leg or the body kicks. Now, where I think it's most important that Masvidal has shown improvements is in the clinch. He did not show any ability to really be at all offensive in the clinch. Yeah. It was all purely defense, which at times he looked really good defensively in the clinch. But maybe but he the strength of Usman? Completely let Usman yeah. just out, just basically outpower him. I mean, Usman's a big and, dude. And truthfully, even if Masvidal comes in better shape here, in order to do that, he's going to be walking into the cage yeah. with less weight on him. Oh, for sure. So therefore, wouldn't you think that that's still going to be a problem for him? Well, size-wise, if he's coming in smaller than he did for the first fight. Right, especially in those grappling exchanges, the clinch on the cage. I have a hard time believing that this is the same exact fight, though. I just have a hard time believing that you'll see five rounds of the same. Usman seems thing. hungry to come out and make a point. I, I mean, he literally wanted this fight so he could finish yeah. Jorge here. But I will say at the press conference today, he was backtracking a little bit at that. I, I yeah, saw that. He, he did say, he's like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. And it's like... You look at all these losses for Jorge, he never gets finished, man. He's always going the distance, and most of them, they're razor thin, and that's why he had that 16-month layoff where he's like, all right, I keep losing these close decisions, so I just need to start finishing people. That was when he had the year of the fighter, you know, in 2019. So I don't know if Masvidal gets finished. I think he's as tough as they come, but I just don't think I see Masvidal being able to beat Usman, man. I agree. I think Usman is levels above this division right now mm-hmm. in all aspects. With him working with Trevor Whitman now, his striking is just taking leaps and bounds. Yeah. And for a guy that's already dominant on the ground, it's terrifying when you see how good he's getting on the feet. Because it's like, who's even going to be close? So, as I said, I have yet to pick an, a new champion for this card. So, therefore... Technically, I should be picking new here, right? Well, you know. But I'm not going to. Okay. I think Kamaru Usman retains his title. I'm going via decision. I do think Masvidal will make it a closer fight than the first one. But I still think Usman kind of runs away with it towards the later rounds. So you're predicting this to be the first three-title fight card to have three and still. I am. And I'm nervous about that. But, you know, it's just call it a gut feeling right now. I'm going Usman. I'm going decision. So I could see it being dominant. I could see it being razor close, but I can't see him finishing Jorge. He's just too tough, man. So I think Usman just gets it done over the course of five rounds. His grappling playing the biggest advantage here, and he gets his hand raised for his fourth title defense. Awesome. And he continues chasing GSP. Yeah, good point. Which is a long chase, but, yeah. you know. Well... That about, oh, wraps, that about wraps up our preview for UFC 261. Check out these fights on Saturday. What are the start times, Dom? 
Oh, damn it. I always put you on the spot. I'm just going to be truthful. Or no, I know this. The prelims <laughs> are at 8 p.m. Prelims are at 8 p.m. I don't know how you're not ready for this. I do this every time. I know. This time I wasn't ready. But I know the prelims are at 8 p.m. Okay. I don't know if there's early prelims. I'm just going to the normal prelims. <laughs> okay. But we do know for sure, damn it, that the main card starts at 10 p.m. Yeah. Eastern Standard Time on pay-per-view in Jacksonville, Florida with 15,000 fans. Mm. Tune in. As for us, if next Monday will be the results and recap for this very pay-per-view that happened Saturday night. So check that out. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Deasley14. Find the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram at B-A-J underscore M-M-A podcast. And as for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at ntbaker underscore, you'll be taken to our link tree, which gives you the links to all the platforms that the podcast is on, along with social media platforms. That includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for the Anchor page. First, leaving a voice message. Like Tyler. <laughs> like Tyler did, like you heard his For the voice. third time. Yep. If you have a thought about an upcoming fight, a news story, if you just want to say hi or tell us we're a piece of shit, you do it there. And there's another link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That just provides us with a few dollars a month and all that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast. Whether it be audio equipment or down the line doing a video podcast. So again, you can find all that if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at ntbaker underscore. But with that, we're out and we'll see you all on.